Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. This is today's Bible class, a short Bible study every single day, keeping us in God's Word, and that helps us to stay strong in our faith, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. It also helps keep us focused on our spiritual lives and on our relationship with God. Help people turn their lives around people you know in your life by sharing these short studies with them through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. You can help somebody turn their life around by getting them into God's Word through these short Bible studies every day. So make that commitment and start sharing today. We're going to get back into our new line of thought and study. We're talking about three reactions to preaching the gospel. Now, we began last time by talking about what the gospel is. But we, we looked at the basis for these three reactions in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 21 through 25. The apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, but he's talking about three reactions to the gospel being preached. He says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. When we leave ourselves open primarily to living our lives, guiding our lives by the wisdom of the world, uh, we're going to go down a pathway of of self-destruction. We're going to be failures when it comes to the most important aspect of living our lives. We ought to be setting our minds on getting to heaven. Getting to heaven ought to be our primary goal in life. But if we're living only by the wisdom of the world, if that's what's guiding us in our daily lives, we're not going to get there. So that's what Paul first focuses on. And so he said, but it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now, is preaching the gospel foolishness? No, not at all. It's godly wisdom, wisdom from God. But the world, so much of the world, sees it as being foolish. Church? Ah, don't need church. Bunch of hypocrites are there. Uh, Well, sure, there are some hypocrites in the Lord's church. Do you think there are no hypocrites outside of the church? You're surrounded by hypocrites out in the world. So you see, your reasoning is inconsistent. Do you expect perfection from everybody who is a true Christian? Well, get real. You're not perfect yourself. But people think foolishness is preaching the gospel, is church. I don't need to be there. I can believe in God without being a part of a church. You can believe in God. James says in James chapter 2 that the demons in hell believe in God so much that they tremble. But they're still the demons. They're still in hell. Um, So just believing in God is not going to get you to heaven. Is not going to make you right with God. So he goes on then and he says, so again, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And the message is the gospel of Christ. For Jews require a sign, he says in verse 22, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Christ crucified. The Jews were not looking for a humble Savior from the standpoint of coming and being born into a humble household, that of a carpenter, and then not living in 
what, a palace, living in the outdoors, probably to a great extent, as he went about his public ministry, uh, going to the cross and suffering a barbarous and humiliating form of execution and being buried in somebody else's tomb. They weren't weren't looking for that kind of a savior. They were looking for a savior that would uh, kick the Roman army out. That was an occupying army in in the land of Israel, uh, particularly in Jerusalem. Kick the Roman army out. Restore the nation of Israel to its former glory days. They wanted somebody who was charismatic and maybe even something of a military leader. Jesus came as a humble carpenter's son and as a humble but absolutely straightforward and powerful teacher of the message that God sent him into this world to preach and teach the gospel again. And so the Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. They weren't looking for that kind of a savior to the Greeks foolishness. And why would it be that Jesus Christ crucified would be foolishness to the Greeks because pivotal to New Testament Christianity is the, is the resurrection from the grave. Jesus died on that cross, but anybody could have died on a cross claiming to be the Savior from heaven, but he arose from the grave, and he, that proved that he is who he said he is. So the idea of some dead person arising from the grave, living again physically, yeah, to the Greeks who thought they were the, <laughs> the real purveyors of of earthly wisdom, intellectual wisdom, and knowledge. They thought that was silly, foolishness, absurdity. In verse 24, Paul goes on and says, but to those who are called, to those who accept the gospel, to those who believe it, both Jews and Greeks, wherever a person is from, whatever his background might be, he says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Christ crucified. The power of God. He, Paul wrote in Romans 1 and verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, to all of humanity. Now, then we looked in Paul's continuing letter to the, to the Corinthian congregation, this 1 Corinthians letter, in chapter 15, and we read succinctly what that gospel message is. And so he said, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It was prophesied in Old Testament scripture that he would die for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas, that is Peter, then by the 12. And then he was seen also by as many as uh, 500 brethren at one time. And I'm sure by a whole lot of others besides those mentioned and enumerated by Paul here in this particular text. And what did Paul identify this message of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as being? Back in verse verse 1 of chapter 15, he called it the gospel. The gospel, 
which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you are saved. If you hold fast that word, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The preaching of the gospel is the basic message of Jesus Christ being our Savior. Come to this earth from heaven itself as God's Son, our Savior, preaching the message of forgiveness and salvation and redemption and eternal life through him. And he died on that cross serving as the perfect one-time-for-all-time Savior to pay the price for the guilt of our sins, which we could not pay for ourselves because we were the sinners. He arose from that grave demonstrating that he truly is the Son of God, our Lord, our Savior, the Messiah come to earth. And there would be no disputing that. The empty tomb would preach his being our Savior loud and long. It still does so today. Well, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. The 53rd chapter of Isaiah goes into great detail talking about that from a prophetic perspective. This is what's going to happen. And Jesus fulfilled those prophecies in minute detail. In Romans chapter 5 in verse 8, the apostle Paul wrote in his Romans letter about Jesus and that sacrifice on the cross. He said, well, we go back to verse 6. When we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. That's all of us, because without Christ, we are all ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, that blood shed on the cross, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, enemies of God because of our sins, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, his death on the cross again, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Wow. He died on that cross to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. The Hebrews writer goes into repetitive detail stating this very fact. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels in that he came in human form for the, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. He died for us. And then when we look in the ninth chapter of, of Hebrews, we look at verse 26, and here again the Hebrews writer brings this particular truth out, that Jesus came to die on that cross to pay the price for the guilt of our sins as our Savior. In verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 9, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
And then in chapter 10, verse 10, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The one time for all time perfect sacrifice. When Jesus was at his last night on this earth before the crucifixion, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28, he had the apostles with him and he initiated what we practice today as the Lord's Supper. And notice, beginning with verse 27, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. When we partake of the bread in the communion service, we're taking the, the representation of his body broken on that cross as the nails were driven through his hands and, and feet and as the spear was plunged into his side, breaking his body. This, the thorns from the crown were pressed down upon his head, undoubtedly breaking the skin and causing the blood to trickle down. And as those nails pierced his hands and feet, as that spear pierced his side, blood and water came forth. And as we partake of that cup, that is the blood of Christ shed for us for the remission of our sins as he died as that perfect sacrifice on that cross. That, again, is central to the gospel message of salvation. Jesus did that for us. We'll go a little bit further next time. Let's pray. Father, where there's no way that we deserve that degree of your love, that degree of Christ's love for us, demonstrated in his sacrifice on that cross. Thank you, Father, for loving us that much so that we could have the opportunity for forgiveness and redemption, salvation and eternal life through Christ. Help us to embrace that, Father, and help others see that they can embrace it as well. Please forgive us and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.